Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, I'm at Towson University with Dylan Landy, uh, and we're here to discuss an article we wrote together titled Wearable Digital Technology and PE, Advantages, Barriers, and Teachers' Ideologies. Uh, This was just published in uh, Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. It's online first right now. Uh, We co-wrote it with uh, Dr. Ray Frederick and Steve Silverman. So Dylan, uh, welcome back to the podcast since the last time you were on. Um, you've been on a tear, uh, getting the Larry Locke Graduate Student Award, ARA, and, you know, becoming Dr. Landy. So how's life at Towson? Yeah, everything's going great. Um, I've been really fortunate with the AERA uh, Larry Locke Award. Um, I think the paper that was presented um, was really uh, interesting because it brought about a different perspective around LGBTQ students and physical education. Um, I did finish my PhD at the University of Auckland. I want to say thank you to my supervisors, Katie Fitzpatrick and uh, Richard Pringle. And also um, a thank you to my latest award, um, Physical Education Sport Pedagogy. Um, The queer inclusive paper that was 2018 was the paper of the year. So, yeah, I've been really lucky. (laughs) You've been uh, been keeping busy, as they they would say. Or or as Steve Silverman would say... um, I'm off the streets. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting because I've actually, I don't think I've done a paper uh, podcast in person. So it's weird to look at a person across <laughs> the table from me. Uh, but quick, easy drive. We're about an hour and 15 minutes away from each other. So, um, But let's jump into this paper. I'll just start off by uh, giving a quick overview. This paper was a part of my dissertation. Um, it was um, a a mixed methods approach to figuring out how this fit unit, which is the fitness integrated with technology unit, um, really works in the schools. And we implemented, or I implemented this, um, this unit in 12 classes in middle schools. And the idea was to give students accelerometers uh, to teach them about what a physically active day was, to teach them about um, not not get them hooked to have to use the accelerometer every single day uh, for the rest of their lives to understand that they're being monitored, but more so teaching physical activity, uh, fit fitness integrated with or the frequency, intensity, time, um, uh, overload, specificity, concepts like that through these lessons. Um, and we also integrated... Um, academic subjects, English, math. So uh, the students would collect data on their accelerometers, bring it into class, they would hook it into a computer and then learn about averages, medians, modes, what's the range, how does the average change as they take out Saturday and Sunday in their average. And their average might go up and then we could talk about what is your physical activity over the weekend? Are you being consistent or are you only being physical, physically active during certain events? Um, so we uh, ended up publishing a few papers off of this. The Teacher's Perceptions paper, which is the paper that we're talking about today, um, was published in uh, Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. The Student Perceptions, which I interviewed 13 students and collected a variety of data, looked at... Um, the students' perceptions, that was in RQES uh, this year. And then we also uh, published two papers on 
uh, the student attitude over a course of a unit, and then the physical activity levels. And a Cliff Notes version of the cl- uh, physical activity levels is it spiked during week one, and it slowly tapered off back to where they used to be. So we'll talk a little bit about the novelty effect here as well. Um, and the student attitude, which was the first study that looked at student attitude over a, a course of a unit, um, showed that it actually can, uh, student attitude can change towards physical education uh, within a short period of time, like um, about a month or uh, five, six weeks. So, Dylan, let's get into a bit about technology and PE. Uh, we read a lot about tech in the process of this paper. Um, and so can you fill in the listeners a little bit about what we know in general about uh, technology and PE? Yeah. So, um, first of all, I want to say thank you for bringing me on board for this. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of one of those things where like, hey, we're doing something with tech and we think there's this sort of sociological understanding. And I was like, yeah, cool. And you're right. I felt like I had to do a deep dive of technology literature. Um, first and foremost, you should know that technology and physical education or in education more broadly is not a new thing, right? This has been around for a while and people have theorized that it would transform the face of education. Um, but more recent theorists have been saying, well, you know, if you look at technology uncritically that way, that they're just going to do these transformations, well, actually not so great things can happen, right? And so in physical education in particular, technology has been a part of the field for quite some time, even things like PowerPoints and like Word docs, you know, doing grades and stuff like that. But Fitnessgram is an example, right? Um, Teachers upload students' data into a system and it gets uh, shipped off somewhere. Um, In addition to that, pedometers have been a a big Mm -hmm. part, um, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. I I actually remember having a pedometer. Heart rate monitors, the little things that uh, they used to strap around our chests. Um, And more recently, social media and the role of social media in um, engaging students in physical activity, but also more recently in student learning and physical education. Um, But the point that we're trying to make here is that technology needs to be thought about. It needs to, uh, it's worth integrating. But as Armour, Casey, and Goodyear state, if it's used uncritically, the devices and apps can simply teach young people that they are fat and unhealthy with little recognition of important and relevant differences between individuals. In other words, if technology is used in a way that is only health promotion, then it could send the wrong messages to students and students can internalize these messages over time. So the main thing is, is that whilst there was a lot of data and a lot of studies on things, you know, around like exer gaming and, you know, doing video feedback and things like that, there wasn't as much research on wearable digital technologies in PE. And that's sort of where this story starts. Yeah, and we know that pedometers have been the most popular wearable tech studied and most of this is because they've been at a low cost they came out way sooner than accelerometers did Um, and so we've been able to research much longer uh, with pedometers than accelerometers or even thinking about the iWatch or Fitbits and things like that that have just recently come out with some research Um, so we we cite this paper back in 2008 uh, Nate McCautry and colleagues wrote about the cautionary tale about using pedometers in classes. And as kind of teachers started to question the usefulness and um, you add to that the logistical issues of using them, 
um, the student sentiment uh, declining, and you have this form of technology that becomes disruptive to the teaching, not promoting education. We'll talk about in our findings how the teachers actually enjoyed that it was a seamless integration and when, when it was um, helping them teach, not taking over the whole entire teaching process. Um, but, you know, we, we also talk about ethics. So I know we, when we were writing this uh, paper, and that's, that's why you came on to this project, because I was looking at this and trying to figure out how to really, you know, figure this paper out. And I think you bring in really good points. So can you talk a little bit about the ethics of all of this, of, of using digital technology in uh, PE? Yeah, so the use of digital technology, not only in physical education, but in health and in wellness and in education more broadly, is actually part of a larger, goal, uh, larger global trend to quantify health, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have our Apple Watches. I think you once called me and you were like, oh, um, Google Maps is now telling you how, how many calories you mm -hmm. would lose if you yeah. were walking. So the, the fact is, though, that these are not neutral issues. They're not non-political issues, but rather they're driven by these things. Um, one example of this political policy type environment is student data, right? So um, in a lot of cases, technology is brought into a school system by a third party character. Um, in some cases, it's fitness testing. Um, fitness grams a good example with that. Another example is accelerometers, mm -hmm. the particular companies that are there. And because of this, data are being uploaded into these data platforms that are external to the school. So students' data are collected without uh, consent or explicit consent from the student. They're put onto an external platform, and then those persons or those companies, corporations, use that to profit or to better their systems. So it, it, it comes up in a lot of cases, like what are the ethics around this? Uh, but when you are using digital, digital technologies, you have to sort of decide, when does the benefit outweigh the limitation? And that's something that I think you are doing throughout this entire process and giving the students access to this um, in different ways. Yeah. And so I think overall, I think we fall in line with the Goodyear and Armour uh, argument that digital technology is not a simple issue, nor are they the savior of physical education pedagogy. Um, basically, we do acknowledge that tech and PE is a very complex issue. Um, and hopefully by talking to teachers, we can understand a little bit more. And our specific purpose with this paper was to explore how wearable digital technologies were embedded within physical education settings and really to gain an understanding of how teachers uh, perceive this integration into lessons. So um, we uh, took a grounded theory approach and the approach is in italics. Um, can you explain that? Yeah, so um, it should be noticed, and this this um, this talks about the bolstering and the rigor of the JTPE process, right? Because this came up in the review process, and yeah. they did a great job of reviewing this. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't offer a, a, an analytical or a theoretical framework, and I know the people who out there know me are like, Dylan, you didn't use theory? What's wrong with you? Were you sick that day? <laughs> um, so... 
when they brought this to the attention of us, they're like, hey, you didn't use a theory to analyze this, but there was a reason we didn't use theory, and it was because this research is not that prevalent, you know, mm -hmm. and we're talking about digital technologies at the intersection of student learning. See, most of digital technology was about data collection and seeing how physically active kids were. So when we got this pushback about not having a theoretical approach, um, I said, hey, why don't we say it's grounded theory, but it's not a true grounded theory because we're not coming up with some sort of overarching theory. Yeah. So when Glazer and Strauss first wrote their book, and I think it was like in the 60s, um, they said that they wanted to liberate sociological analysis from the limitations imposed by a grand or large scale theory. Because when you have these theories, they, they assemble, they constrict the way that we look at data. But rather, you allow the inductive process to work. So we use, it, we use different types of grounded theory approaches, the things that you do in grounded theory without actually developing a theory. And the reason we did this is because one, it's pragmatic. Um, what we find from this can be utilized for future research, it can be utilized in classrooms, and it can be utilized for policy. Um, two, it's explorative, right? So we're not limited by that overarching theory that says you must look at this, you must look at this. And the third thing is because we do believe in an inductive process, and that's where the data um, really guides our results more than uh, just a simple uh, layering of theory. Usually it's done both inductive and deductive. But we wanted the data to drive this, and we wanted the, the teachers' experiences and what was going on in classrooms to drive this. Yeah, and so I'll go into the methods basically in a way to just explain that this was a larger study where we used uh, mixed methods. Um, and we had 12P classes, therefore there were 12 teachers, individual teachers teaching one class uh, at a time. Uh, so there's no teaching effect over time. Uh, the teachers range from a first year teacher to a person that was at 35 years of experience. Uh, and we use the fitness integrated with technology unit. Now, this wasn't a curriculum model. Um, the idea was to give teachers autonomy to create and implement their own activities. Uh, but it was integrated with wearable digital technologies during the lesson. So there was a beginning piece where it was not a lecture, but more of an understanding of whatever concept that was being taught. Uh, the fit principle or progressive overload, then the teachers would go out and teach what they were teaching normally, whether it be volleyball, basketball, uh, a, a fitness unit, whatever that is. And then we came back at the end um, and they might have had a free write activity or uh, one of the lessons was actually entirely in the computer lab. And the, there were three goals in mind. It was one, to integrate fitness-based knowledge and two, uh, to use technology to, uh, technology to augment learning. And the third goal is to increase students' attitudes and self-efficacy towards fitness. Um, now, we, we use this specific paper to talk about the teachers' perceptions here and teachers' ideologies. And so we interviewed um, the 12 teachers. Um, we had um, a ton of field notes. I was going in and observing these classes all the time. Um, we had classroom artifacts, so uh, journal documents, um, teachers' notes on the lesson plans, uh, teachers' questions, emails back and forth. Um, we had student work that had free writing assignments, math assignment uh, assignments, 
uh, writing prompts that were a part of the fit unit and uh, students even collect, um, created collages about what fitness means to them. So uh, in the greater scope of this, we even went into a little bit of, um, of visual methods, although I didn't, I haven't gotten to the, um, that part yet. Um, so we, when we look at the data analysis, we had three distinct themes. Uh, that represented the teacher's perceptions of incorporated, uh, incorporating digital technologies, NPE, and how that actually influenced their pedagogical practices. So uh, three themes to list them here first is one was seamless integration. The second was ideologies and pedagogy and then uh, barriers. So I'll jump right into the first one. Um, now I'll let Dylan uh, go for the second. So when the first theme um, we realized that the teachers liked the technology integration when it didn't replace their teaching plans, but rather supplemented it or augmented it, which is, which is understandable. Like most, um, most research is a collaboration with the teachers, so they prefer to still have autonomy. I shouldn't be the one coming in and saying, you're now doing this, or you're doing this wrong, or I'm going to completely restructure your physical education class for the next you know, six weeks. So we went to this as an approach of the teachers knew what they were doing. So let's let them guide this. Here are the guiding principles. Here are the things that we want uh, students to know and be able to do. But I'm not going to come in and tell you, you have to teach volleyball right now. Um, the other thing that we came across here was that there was a novelty effect with the technology. And that was very clear in a lot of the field notes as well. Uh, when I went in and saw kids doing cartwheels and running as fast as they can to some tree in the, in the field and coming back and constantly looking at how much that increased their step count. Um, so that was great to see that it was a motivating factor, but that motivating factor definitely did not come across the five, six uh, weeks of the, um, of the FIT unit. Um, and that's been supported by a lot of other research as well that um, students have, um, you know, have kind of that initial excitement. It might, you know, help for a while, but we need to, as researchers, figure out how to kind of capture that lightning in the bottle if we want to think that technology is a motivating factor because it is for a short period of time but not um, not long term so you know the teachers liked the accelerometers they were interested in the technology for the most part but at the same time um, you know that interest wore off and um, we had some issues with the ideologies and the pedagogy which is the second theme here so the second theme was around the teacher's um, ideology. So uh, Ken Green claimed that PE teachers uh, often don't have explicit philosophies, but rather they have ideologies that serve to vindicate their preferred conceptions of PE. Um, different researchers over time have talked about this differently. Uh, something that I really like is Kathy Ennis's value orientations. Um, and how the curriculum is theorized in that way as well. And what we found here is that the way technology was used uh, was to reinforce their preferred conception of physical education. And it usually split into one of two directions. And I hate binaries, so I hate doing this, but I'm going to have to. Um, the, the first group were, you know, people who saw PE as a tool for public health. And in, in this case, 
Um, the teachers use the accelerometers to actually monitor student physical activity and to correct it. In other words, you're not uh, participating enough. You need to do more physical activity and, and such. We have an example from Mr. Wheeler. Um, we asked him, you know, would he use accelerometer? Well, I didn't ask him. You did. I didn't. <laughs> we didn't. Um, Risto asked him uh, if he would use accelerometers again, and he said, absolutely. I absolutely would. I think whether it's a heart rate monitor, an accelerometer, anything that we can to keep, to keep track of how much moves the kids are actually doing. And I would really love to have instantaneous feedback and almost like project. So in this case, Mr. Wheeler um, saw the accelerometer as a way to promote public health. He not only wanted to uh, instantaneously get feedback on the students to so see if they were, you know, participating at a high enough level. But rather, he also wanted to project future <laughs> performances. Um, and in theory, he could stop, you know, the students from participating in poor behavior before they even engage in it. Um, obviously, this type of uh, uh, style of physical education where we monitor and survey students has shown to be uh, detrimental in different ways. Um, one is around student self-esteem, um, two is around student attitudes, and uh, three is essentially they learn really uh, poor messages about the body, whereas it's either fit or fat or healthy or unhealthy. Um, the other group of teachers, on the other hand, took as health and movement as more socioculturally influenced. Um, Mr. Anthony said this, some kids would come in and just say, today I got 10,000 moves. It was because I didn't go to lacrosse practice, or whereas the day before they had lacrosse practice or some other activity, whether it was gymnastics or dance or whatever, they had 18,000 moves. So in this case, the accelerometers were used as a reflective tool to look at the institutional supports the school supports, familial supports, community supports that actually help students be more physically active and enjoy physical activity. We argue this is probably a better form of health education and physical education because it allows students to reflect and to think critically about physical activity rather than think of it as just a singular and individual endeavor. Yeah. And so the third theme talks about barriers to implementing technology and uh, let me tell you, there were a few. Um, one of the issues was that some of the schools didn't have access to the computer lab. So even when I came in on the first day to give out the accelerometers, they weren't able to immediately go in and see what the website looked like. I couldn't do the training um, other than them hustling around trying to find a laptop cart. Um, some of the teachers had never been to a computer lab as PE teachers, which I don't think is that uncommon, um, but it just shows how you know PE teachers sometimes don't utilize the same technology as classroom teachers do. I know a lot of uh, uh, the students in my uh, master's course have talked about how you know they're not utilizing Google Classroom the same way as other other teachers may be. Um, the other one was that, you know, we worked in some low uh, socioeconomic uh, communities and, you know, Wi-Fi wasn't at home. So they couldn't uh, go in on, on the computer at home or they didn't have a computer at home. Um, the other issue was issues of privacy of, you know, parents uh, saying, no, you cannot download this app or use this program on the home computer. So it all, all of a sudden we were just stuck without figuring out like, how, well, how do I 
go around that if one of the pieces is if you have a computer at home download this app so you can use this and check in with and interact with your physical activity at home when the parents block it uh, and then the other issue was you know during volleyball right can you wear something on your wrist it, was it a wearable technology no so the students would take that off or try to put it in their pocket and it would fall out um, so you know those are those are some barriers there and you know looking now three or four years removed from this one of the things that we don't talk about in this paper is this company that we used is out of business so you know investing in thousands of dollars of money for accelerometers to buy for this school and then the school invests in it teaches students how to use it but in this startup culture of what's the next thing the reason we went to this company was because they're low-cost accelerometers and they were approachable and we could do this for um, for low-income communities that didn't have $120, $200 to buy an, an Apple iWatch. You know, these uh, units were 20 bucks each. So the issue then becomes they send out an email and say within six months, we're no longer supporting the online aspect of it. So I think those are things that are beyond the scope of what we're talking about in this paper. But I think kind of the next steps going forward is we want to know what the technology uh, knowledge of teachers is and then see how they can implement it or, you know, even how they feel about technology and are they implementing it. I think those are, um, you know, issues that we're interested in that, you know, people haven't done that research in. Um, so I'll let... Um, let Dylan kind of uh, go through and kind of summarize some of this, like if you have some takeaways or concluding thoughts. Yeah, so if I were to, you know, throw our final results into a basket and pull it out one at a time and say this was it, you know, the first thing is that teachers don't want technology to replace their programs. They want them to augment their programs. So Absolutely. how can they augment or make better their teaching situation, their learning situation, whatever it is? And one of the reasons of this is because their beliefs as a teacher plays a role in how they use technology. You know, if they believe that the purpose of physical education and health education is solely for public health promotion, they used it in a way to survey students and to, you know, monitor them and discipline them rather than as a student learning tool. Um, if they were more, you know, socially inclined, they use it as a reflective tool to think about how their community affects physical activity. And the last thing is that we need to consider the different limitations of using digital technology, you know, and a large part of this, whether we want to say this or not, is the resources that schools have, you know, uh, do they have enough money for this? Do they have um, the, the computer labs? And if something goes awry, do they even have support to help them for this and provide professional development? So th these are sort of the concluding marks. But the, the point is here that I think we all agree that technology is already in physical education, has excellent potential in physical education. But if we're going to start doing more research on it, we need to focus on the intersection of digital technology and student learning. We need to see how it's actually affecting um, teaching practices rather than simply used as a monitoring device. And I think we need to pay close attention to how teachers' ideologies 
could be augmenting or limiting that student learning opportunity as well. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> uh, so you can find this paper on uh, Journal of Teaching Physical Education. We'll link to all this stuff. Uh, you can find Dylan at Dylan Landy uh, on Twitter and uh, ResearchGate and his Towson University faculty webpage. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Risto Martinen. Um, and our uh, George Mason stuff is under Mason underscore P-H-E-D uh, on Instagram. And uh, I just uh, got noticed that we are recruiting for a funded position in a physical education PhD. So just uh, had a conversation on the way up here. And uh, so if you're looking to study uh, physical education and getting your PhD and uh, looking for a funded position, Washington, D.C. is waiting for you. George Mason University is, uh, is here, and uh, we're going to actually put out a podcast um, uh, in a little bit with uh, Dr. Banville and myself kind of uh, discussing that a little bit more. So uh, that's all we have for you on this one. Thank you, Dylan, for inviting me to Towson. Thank you lovely for coming. Campus. Thank you for coming. If um, you're in Maryland and you need a uh, university to go to, they have really nice facilities. I'm very impressed. Yeah, uh, uh, our our college here has supported our program um, very strongly. We're merging into a health and physical education program. We've hired two new faculty members, and we're expecting that to increase. Nice. So, yeah. um, thank you for having me, and uh, I hope that. Towson was warm to you. It was. It was. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, we'll link to all this information in the article notes. And uh, thanks for listening.